0: And open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 7, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7, I've been replacing the windows in my house one at a time uh, over about the last year, don't want don't to rush anything, uh, <laughs> Went to my favorite home improvement store last week, bought a window, came home, cut the old one out. This is uh, about number five, so I kind of have a system down, so I was, you know, I'm just, boy, I'm going to go after it. And I cut the old one out and uh, unwrapped the new one, and it was defective. It had a couple of problems. So I load it back in the car. I go back to my favorite uh, home improvement store, and I say, this thing is not right. And they say, no problem. Here's your money. I went and got another one. I put it in the car. I came home, and I unwrapped it, and it had a defect. This was last Sunday. And so I pack it up in the car. I got a six-by-three hole. In my, in my bedroom, <laughs> and I don't keep sheets of plywood laying around, if you know what I mean. So, so I go back to Home Depot. They say, we closed 10 minutes ago. Oh, Sanctification got thin, but I prevailed, <laughs> found the manager, and this time we opened it up to look at the hidden spot to see, is it defective or is it whole? And it was whole. And I took it home and put it in and uh, rejoiced in my new window. As Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount at the end of Matthew 7, he's going to warn us about how, what kind of a life we choose because if we choose the one with defects the results will be worse than a cosmetic problem on a window. Follows I read Matthew 7, starting in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it, go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few that find it. "'Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing "'and inwardly are ravenous wolves. "'You will know them by their fruits. "'Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? "'Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, "'and a bad tree bears bad fruit. "'A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, "'nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. "'Every tree that does not bear good fruit "'is cut down and thrown into the fire. "'Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. "'Not everyone who says to me, "'Lord, Lord!' shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on on the rock And the rain descended, and the flood came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall in this concluding section jesus begins by saying listen there's only one way to heaven it is a narrow way it requires you to admit that you're a sinner and that jesus is the only savior and that you need that salvation and he said you need to be careful because there's many people who will be teaching you many things there is a broad way There are many people saying, oh, Jesus isn't the only way. There's this way and this way and this way, and all roads lead to heaven. Jesus said it is not so. You have to be careful of who you listen to, and you have to be careful to examine your own heart. Not everyone will show up in eternity and expecting to get into heaven and will get there because some will have been mistaken about that narrow way. And in this final section... Jesus says, you need to understand something. Not only is your life in the future in heaven at risk here, but also your life right now. Your life is built on a foundation. Many people don't think about the call it philosophical or ideological basis to life because they're just kind of living life from day to day but your life is built on some kind of a thoughtful foundation every house has a foundation here's a house being framed and you can see the foundation beneath it um, this part over here looks like it, maybe it was laid on a slab the rest of it we don't know But every house has a foundation. And Jesus says that there are two ways that your life can be founded. And it's clarified even more by Luke's account of this same message. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you who he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep. I love that. He dug deep and he laid the foundation on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation. Uh, In years gone by, it wasn't uncommon to lay a house right on on the soil. Our house in Tukwila, which was a a pretty old house, it was a church, church owned the house as part of their property, had an addition, uh, sort of a cover built over some stairs going down to the basement, and that addition was laid right on the soil. They they just took a a timber and laid it there, and that was it. And as you can imagine, (laughs) it began to sink after a while. When we build a foundation these days, we build something like this, Um, uh, you know, underneath this little part here is a part called the footer and we call this little wall the foundation wall and, and uh, we, we build something like this and then we put the house on top of it you might say we make our own rock because we know if you just set the house on the dirt it's going to sink one way or the other it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall apart at some point what's interesting even in modern construction the dirt isn't even good enough to put the cement on over here where they're building the Ferndale library if you've noticed as I, I drive by there every day they've been working for two three weeks just taking out dirt and putting new material in so they can have a firm foundation a firm footing for the foundation to lay on the soil was too too soft they had to get something firmer to lay it on Jesus said, you have a foundation of your life. Your life is sitting on something. All of the stuff you do every day is based on something underneath you. The question is, is it a foundation of him or is it a foundation of something else, either the sand or the dirt, as he calls it? Have you just laid your life right on the stuff around you? Now, the sandy foundation is what I would call The normal way of life. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And I'd like you to think about how we normally create, how we normally create the foundation of life. The normal foundation of life starts uh, when you're a child in your parents' home. And your parents tell you the way the world is. And they may be good parents or bad or a mixture of both. Um, I, I don't know if I saw this on TV or read it in an article or something about a, a guy who, who has his child stand on the edge. And he says, here, jump and I'll catch you. And the kid jumps and he lets him fall and he says, I just want you to know you can't trust anybody. Okay? That's part of the foundation of that person's life. They are learning things from parents. Similarly, or or in a contrast, the parent who is loving and caring and so on builds certain things into the foundation of that child's life. The way that your parents act toward you, the skills and knowledge they teach you, the people they bring or allow into your life, all contribute to the the foundation that is under the house, which is your life. It's, It's automatic. You can't help it. You know, we, we had a, a man, who my, a, a bachelor, a man who was kind of alone in life. My parents used to have him over for dinner a lot. And he used to always say this little saying, well, if you don't toot your own horn, nobody else will. And I just assumed that was true. <laughs> had a president in college who said, if you aren't in trouble at least half the time, you aren't doing anything at all. And I just assumed that was true. <laughs> Until somebody said, "Well, you shouldn't be in trouble all the time." <laughs> all of the stuff that people tells us comes in, and a lot of it stays around. And we we think a certain way, and we act a certain way based on our life. Teachers, coaches, friends, people at work all have an impact on how we think and act. The society around us encourages us to live in certain ways, and those ways change from time to time. You read books, you listen to music, you watch the media, uh, you, you tweet, whatever you do, you get all this input and it contributes to the foundation of your life. And the problem we're in is this, the way you think is completely natural for you. Did you get that? It's completely natural, because you grow up a certain way, and you go, well, this is the way the world is. This is the way I am. This is the way I should live. And it's completely natural, because it's the way you came up. But the question Jesus is posing is, is your life built on me, or something else? Because if it's not on me, it is on a shifting foundation. Something that will not hold Listen to one of the ways this, this foundation is verbalized by the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. These were all religious practices of the day, and actually some of them persist to today in certain groups. Let no one judge you in regard to these things, which are a shadow, verse 17, of the things to come, the substances of Christ. He begins drawing the contrast between life in Christ and life not in Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward. It's possible for you to be fooled and to be cheated out of your reward when you stand before Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward by taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding to those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. In other words, only God knows the things that that, that are being spoken of there. How can this man come along and write his own Bible, write his own truth? Verse 19, not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God, therefore... If you died to Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandment and doctrines of men. These things have an appearance of wisdom in self imposed religion, false humility. And neglect of the body. But they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. There's all kinds of stuff around us that has the appearance of wisdom. But it is not wisdom any more than you are a soldier by putting on a uniform today. We need to look at our life and say, what is the foundation of my life? The rock foundation is the words of Christ. And let me just review, I believe I've put this in your notes, and let me just review the big strokes of this Sermon on the Mount and the words of Christ. First of all, he starts off talking about the desires and the drives of the godly person. He says, you want to have a a firm foundation, adopt these drives and these desires. He says, you want to have a firm foundation, focus your life and and decide that in your life you are going to influence the world, not the other way around. True righteousness is internal and external. It's not one or the other. Uh, Some people have gone to the extreme of saying, it doesn't matter what I do with my physical body because I think good thoughts. And that's an old, old heresy. But God says, no, what you think, what you believe, and what you do based on those thoughts matters. Worship is a heart attitude before it's a ritual activity. Again, it's not one or the other, it's both. Devotion to God is the guiding force in life. Uh, You know, don't worry, but but put your faith in God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. You want to be a rock, have a guiding force that it never changes. Our confrontation of sin is to begin with self. Prayer is the expression of dependence on God. And relationship to God deserves careful attention. These are the words of Christ which form... The foundation of a life that is not blown over by the storms of life. I'm not known for being particularly, uh, how would I put it? I am known for being particularly upfront. So, could I just say, thank you for the illustration for my sermon today, Cindy. <laughs> When we visited Chuck and Cindy in the hospital on about day three or four, the way I characterized them after we left was, they're just like they are in church except Cindy's in a hospital bed. Okay, she probably doesn't even remember that day because she was a little, little far out there. But, yeah. <laughs> but honestly, joyful and confident you know realizing the seriousness of the situation as chuck was and yet not shaken by the storm could there be any bigger storm than being on the verge of losing your life and then having a loved a well loved loved one die the storms will beat on the house of our life both houses are subjected to storms, both houses. But only one house stands. There are a lot of preachers today who would give you the idea, if they don't mean to say it, that it sure sounds like they do, that if you just come to Jesus, all the problems of your life are going to be solved. Now, I, I think there is an element of truth in that statement, but here's the part that doesn't seem to get said. Just because your problems will be solved doesn't mean there won't be problems. Just because God will help you weather the storm doesn't mean He's taken the storms away. Jesus said there's two kinds of people one that hears me, one that doesn't hear me, but the storms beat on both houses. You see, some people would almost have us to believe that coming to Jesus brings those storms. It does not. You can avoid Jesus and you will still have difficulty in your life. The rains, the floods, the wind fell on both houses. You see, the stuff of life happens. It happens because our world has been tainted with sin. Uh, Cindy's illness is is something that's known, but really not known why? Is that accurate? Okay, I know why. It's because your body's not perfect, and neither's yours or yours, or yours, or yours, and so that means that some of us are going to wake up tomorrow with a cold, and some of us are going to wake up with a flu, and some of us are going to wake up needing to have their tonsils taken out at 57 years old. What did I do to deserve that? Nothing. It is the deterioration of the world. It's ongoing because of the sin in the world. Not because of my sin. She didn't suffer because of her sin, nor nor do you. There's just the deterioration of the world. It's just ongoing. And and so, you know, there's aches and there's pains and and the house, uh, you know, needs to be painted and all that stuff is ongoing. But Jesus wasn't talking just about that. He was also talking about what I might call the the ultimate pressure that gets put on our house. And for the Christian, that pressure is like this. No other foundation can anyone lay other than that which is laid is Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that that, that God caused Paul to come right back to this foundation element before he talks about this ultimate test? No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay straw, each one 's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one 's work of what sort it is. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you lay the foundation of Jesus in your life, or or better spoken, even God lays that foundation in your life. And then he commands you to work at righteousness, both personally and in ministry to others. And so everything you do in your life is building on the foundation of Christ. And it's possible to build gold, silver, or precious stone, that is to do things for God. It's also possible to live your life wood, hay, and straw, which is to live selfishly, to live sinfully, and we all do that for small periods of time, and sometimes we let things go, and we do it for large periods of time. If I understand God's word right, a true Christian doesn't let it go on for very long. But there will be a day when God examines our work If anyone's work which he has built on endures, endures the the fire of examination, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. In other words, God's not going to disown you because you have failed to use your life as well as you should have, but there will be this day of, of, of press, of pressure, of God's inspecting gaze and if we have lived our life for him there will be reward and the parts that haven't been for him will be burned up that is the ultimate the ultimate pressure put on the christian there is an ultimate pressure put on the unbeliever the one who does not listen to the words of jesus and it's like this i saw the great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open. and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And if anyone was not found written in the book of life, anyone who was not found was cast into the lake of fire. That is the ultimate pressure that will be put on your life. And Jesus said, you want to be wise Be ready to not be there at that judgment. In other words, when you believe in Christ, you don't stand here to be judged to see if you're going to make it or not. You only stand to be evaluated. The storm of God's judgment will make Hurricane Sandy look like a spring shower. we need to take God's warning to us seriously that says, I must, be, I must lay that foundation by faith in Christ. Now what happens in the uh, storm? The house on the sand cannot withstand the storm. Jesus said that the rain, the flood, the wind came to both. The house laid on the sand fell. The literal rendering of this is, is really great. It, it's, it reads like this. The wind fell on the house and the house fell. It uses the same word for both. The wind fell on the house and the house fell. I'd like you to think for just a minute about some of the sand that unbelievers build their lives on. And then we'll consider some examples. The sand on which the unbelieving builds, self-esteem. You need to love yourself. You need to love yourself before you are able to love others. Sexual freedom, you ought, to be, you ought to be able to do whatever you want. You ought to just be free. There shouldn't be any rules. The great change in the laws in our country in the last few years regarding sexual activity are because people want no rules. Let me be who I think I am. Materialism, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Ah, nobody says that. You're right, they don't. They just live that way. What's the new toy? What's the new phone? What's the new computer? What's the new motorcycle? What's the new boat? No, no, no boat. We're gonna leave boats out of this because boats are totally righteous. <laughs> Campers. Campers are wicked. Pickup trucks of no value, except to pull a boat. <laughs> um, not sure if I can get a boat hitch on the on the Rev wagon, but The real problem with materialism is not in owning the stuff. It's in believing that the stuff is going to make your life complete, joyful, peaceful, uh, pick a word, uh, important. Um, In recent years, there's been sort of an increase, uh, I think, in the emphasis on what I would call the finer things, what the world calls the finer things. You go to the, the, the Home Improvement Channel, they don't go in and say well, you know, there's mold and mildew in your house, so let's fix this. They go in and say, there's mold and mildew in your house. Let's tear it down and build the Taj Mahal in its place because, according to self-esteem, you deserve this. Watch these shows where people are buying their first house. Ooh, it's not granite. Ooh, there's, there's this. Ooh, you know, I think, man, just get a house and live there. Come on. You're just starting out. But we have believed that we deserve some things. And we have believed that stuff defines our life. Relationships are a big part of the sand that people build on. Now, listen to this all the way. Relationships are important. But if your life is built on the foundation of relationships, as in love is what makes the world go around and so on. All of the topics of all of the popular music has to do with relationship because everybody's trying to get one and and trying to have something of substance in their life. And if that is a foundation of your life, it's not going to work. Achievement, accomplishment, being something, uh, you know, becoming... You know, anyone can become the president of the United States. Apparently that's true. (laughs) Anyone except me. And then there's a new element. There's always this other element in the sand. I call it anti-sand. You know what anti-sand is? Anti-sand is the counterculture on which people build their life. When I was a young person, back when we used to say righteous dude, the anti-sand, the anti-sand was the hippies. Now, how many of you how many of you in here were hippies? There, oh, there's a lot. Yeah, we got yeah, 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 we got some hippies. Yeah. You know? And the hippies had a credo which went away from this, except for sexual freedom you know, and and it was like, hey, we're not going to own stuff, and we're not going to be like this, and we're not going to be like that. And they drew this box, and they said, this is is really what makes life work, okay? And apparently it didn't, because it went away, too. Now, here's what the new anti-sand is. The new anti-sand is minimalism. Have you heard of this? Minimalism is a guy living in a 700-foot apartment being famous for living in a 700-square-foot apartment and telling everybody else how to live a minimalistic life. Well, la-dee-da. Here's the point. Um, lest I be misunderstood, I-, I believe, in essence, when we follow the Lord, God does want us to, to be comfortable with who we are god does have a path to sexual expression god does intend to support us with the material things of life god does want relationships to be important um he does want us to to try to accomplish things for him in a a godly sort of a way and he wants us to minimalize uh, some of the junk of the world and so there's an element of righteousness in all of these but none of these can be the foundation of life All of these find their correct place in life when Jesus is at the center. What are some recent examples of life built on the sand? There was a woman this week arrested for drunk driving who made big news on the talk shows, not being there, but being talked about, because 10 years ago she was drunk driving and her car went into a body of water and the two people in her car died. She was driving drunk. And, and since then, uh, recently, she's been working for an organization to help prisoners stay out of prison. In other words, to help them get their lives squared away. And She was caught driving drunk. Now, why do you suppose she was driving drunk? What did she tell the officer who arrested her? Well, I just found out that my husband's been cheating on me. Okay, And in the whole history of it, he's been an abusive husband. Okay, now, I think infidelity is terrible and I think abuse is terrible. But here's the point. She had her life all figured out on the sand until the rain came and her house was tipped over. Because she didn't really have the strength to deal with the stuff of life. You know who that fella is? I don't even want to say his name. <laughs> Anthony Weiner. Former congressman. Uh, I Did he resign Congress over the last flap or did he just lose his seat? I don't remember, but I think he resigned. Yeah. And he resigned because he was sending sexually explicit texts and pictures, words and pictures, back and forth to at least one person. One person uh, made it public, one girl, one younger woman. Now he's a married man. Okay. Uh, besides, he's sending out these texts. What's, what's really fascinating, can I back up just a minute? Didn't, doesn't the world say you're supposed to be free to do whatever you want? And then all of a sudden, when somebody does it, they go, ooh, you're bad! He is bad. This time, he's running for mayor of New York, and apparently was one of the front runners in the race. Until it was public again that he is texting, sending pictures of himself and sexually explicit messages to a number of younger women. And he's married with a child or two. Now, what's the real problem here, folks? The real problem is this guy doesn't have too much self-esteem. He's trying to prove himself. Am I desirable to these younger women? So he sends a picture of himself with no shirt on, you know? And he looks like a buff, little, skinny guy. (laughs) That alone should keep him out of public office because he doesn't understand women don't want to look that. Yeah, you know I'm telling the truth. <laughs> they want to look at your character, and they want to look at how you love them. He's a fool on many levels. But he's built his house on the sand, and, and, and it's falling down. And of course, the, the greatest, the greatest, uh, the greatest uh, sand builder you could possibly mention right now is, is Ariel Castro, the guy who imprisoned those three women. Now, as if what he did wasn't bad enough, I don't know if you heard some of his statements in court. These people are trying to paint me as a monster. I'm not a monster. I'm sick. Could, could I just back up a minute? Okay. He lived this out. He lived this out. That's what the world tells you to do, right? Right? and now he wants to say he's sick? Well, were you sick, or were you following your bliss? And I, and believe me, in using the word bliss, I'm not making light of the terrible things that he did. He described himself as addicted to pornography. So you're telling me, Mr. Castro, that sexual freedom doesn't lead to freedom, but it leads to enslavement? He claimed he was a victim of sex acts when he was a child. I don't doubt that. Of his youngest daughter who was born of one of the kidnapped victims in captivity. This is a quote. Six years old now. She'll probably say, my daddy is the best daddy in the world because that's how I tried to raise her in those six years. She wouldn't be, so she wouldn't be traumatized or anything like that. Is that guy self-deluded? How about this? A quote from him, I am not a violent person. I simply kept them there without them being able to leave. In chains. We had a lot of harmony going on in that home. Now folks... Here's what you got to understand. You say, oh, that's an extreme example. You're absolutely right. It's the extreme example of building your life on a sinful foundation and then just living in it and living in it and living in it and pretty soon you're way out here and, and he's saying to himself, I'm messed up. The foundation of sand will not endure And you say, well, those are extreme examples, Dave. Let me just talk about the common examples of sand living, the families who can't get along and break up. You know, we've heard for so long that that half of all divorces, half of all marriages end in divorce. The actual statistics, about 33% of first marriages end in divorce and something like 60% of the second ones and the third ones and so on. But we've heard those statistics so long, we've come to say, well, that's just kind of normal. It is not normal and it does not have to happen unless you build your life on the sand. I mean, if you're married and then you're seeking your own self-esteem, your own sexual freedom, your own materialistic pleasure, of course the two of you are gonna have arguments and fights and, and differences of directions. And of course you're gonna come to a point where you go, there's just irreconcilable differences. The reason there's so much divorce is because there's so much sand foundation building. The addicts that can't get clean and then overdose, like the actor. uh, This last week, the guy from this TV show, Glee, um, and, and he's got a beautiful girlfriend from the TV show. He's famous, he's making money, and he overdoses. Why? Because his... His life is built on the sand, and when any rain comes, there's no stability, there's no strength. One author put it well. All around us, we are hearing of the crashing of our civilization as one tornado after another rips it apart. Individuals, homes, communities, nations are collapsing at an alarming rate. If the experiences of the last 50 years prove anything, they prove that modern man, in spite of his tremendous scientific achievements, hasn't found a decent way of life. He has learned to build houses, but he doesn't seem to understand the nature of foundation. He is skillful, but he isn't wise. And that was written in 1952. In contrast to the house built on the sand, the foundation of Christ produces strength. Now I'm going to read a series of statements, and I have printed them and put them right there, so you don't need to try and write them down, because I am going to blast through this. But I want to review the Sermon on the Mount in a set of statements to say, listen to the strength that God gives. If you are pursuing intrinsic godliness... You will be building your inner person, the real you, not the carrying case. Strength in crisis does not come from dressing well, but from living well. If you view the world as needing the Savior, you can set about taking Jesus to them, and you won't be hurt by their rejections. If you're attempting to live out the commands of God in heart and life, you will have the power of God causing growth and strength. If you are committed to godly love, which demands consistency between thoughts and deeds, then you will reject hatred, sexual fantasy, and flippant divorce, and God will build genuine, fulfilling relationships in your life. If your concept of honesty is so pure that you refuse to disguise lies with cleverly contrived cover-ups, then God will be free to defend you when the truth is unwelcome. If your definition of love includes kindness, even toward those who are unappealing or hateful, then God will be able to create a heart of love in you, like that of Jesus. If your worship of God is free of prideful public demonstrations and full of heartfelt expressions of appreciation and dedication to God, then God will be honored by you and will in return honor you with a heartfelt satisfaction in your life. If your values are so focused on eternity that you are not living to accumulate earthly wealth, nor are you consumed with worry about your earthly existence, then God will be free to provide for your earthly needs. If your concern for righteousness is so great that you examine yourself before confronting others, then God will make you a person who can help others. If your belief in the power of God is so great that you pray consistently, about the concerns of your heart, then God will be able to make miraculous changes in and around you. If your adherence to the uniqueness and purity of God's truth is such that you believe and preach it only, then God will protect you from the error which pervades our world. That is the strength that God wants to build in us. And it cannot be replaced by anything. How do we get that strength? How do we lay that foundation? We lay it by obedience. In John 7, Jesus said, there is a man who hears me and does and a man who hears me and doesn't. It's not hard to say, well, I believe in Jesus. I I think the Christian way is not a bad way, but the question you have to ask yourself is, is your belief so deep that it results in action. In 1 John 2, John said, He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. Jesus said, the question is not, have you heard me? The question is, are you obeying me? And of course, the very first and foremost command is, You need to believe in Christ. If you have not believed in Christ, you are not a follower of Christ. If you have believed in Christ, you have laid that foundation. Now you need to move on to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. In other words, throughout your Christian life, you need to be a listener and a doer of God's word because you don't want to be like somebody who looks at his face in a mirror and sees a problem and walks away and forgets something needs to be changed, but he looks into the perfect law of liberty. Isn't that interesting? God says if you limit yourself to the foundation of Christ, you become free through his truth, the law of liberty. The man who continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer, this one will be blessed. You know what the word blessed means in the scripture? It means happy. The path to happiness is obedience. Doesn't seem that way. You know, for us in America, it seems like the path to happiness is supposed to be do whatever I want to do. Jesus said, path to happiness is obedience is your life built on the rock is Christ the foundation let me ask you differently do you live in obedience to the words of Christ because if you do you're you've laid that foundation and now you're building on it a house that will endure I ran into some old friends a week ago at Michael Holland's wedding I sitting there eating my food and lady walks by and I thought ah oh, you were a you were a paramedic down in Seattle we were on calls together and couldn't remember her name but uh struck up conversation and not only was she a paramedic who worked down in the South King County but uh she married a fellow shortly after I knew both of them who was a doctor and they were both on a disaster team that I was on in Seattle Um, that worked with the federal government. And uh, the doctor is Michael Holland's wife's new, uh, his wife's uncle. Uh, There you go, family connection. There it is. And we were commiserating about our days on the disaster team. And the head of our disaster team had, uh, his parents had a building with a basement in it. And so we kept our equipment in the basement. Now, they started that back when the team didn't have too many people and too much equipment. By the time I was there, We had like 40 people and 20,000 pounds of team equipment, including these huge tent devices that we would erect. And so every time we went on a mission or a training mission, we had to go into that basement and carry 20,000 pounds of equipment up the stairs and and load it onto a truck and take it somewhere and offload it and do it again two or three times. And uh, maybe that's why I had to have my knees rebuilt. I'm not sure. I know for a fact I couldn't do that now. I am not that strong. Um, I have a little saying of all the things I lost. I miss my mind the most, but I miss being strong the second most. (laughs) Just just to look at something and go, yeah, I can pick that up, grab it, pick it up. I just can't do that. Because if I do, it's going to be trouble. Do you want to be strong as a person? Or do you want to be weak? You know, when we put the choice that way, people say, well, of course I want to be strong, I don't want to be weak. What Jesus is talking about in this last section is the path to strength. The wise man builds his foundation, he lays the foundation of Christ, and he builds the house of his life, and the result is strength. That's where I want to live, that's who I want to be. I may not be strong physically, but I want to be strong spiritually and personally. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your way of salvation and the life that comes from that salvation breeds strength. I'm so thankful that that I don't have to face the challenges of life wondering and worrying Father, spread your strength in this church. If there's somebody here who's never believed in Christ, help them to to believe today and to lay that foundation of Jesus. Help us all to be building on that foundation with godliness. I pray in Christ's name, amen.